Okay, uh, turn with me uh, in your Bible to Exodus chapter 6. And uh, we'll get there in just a moment. Just going to recap where we were last week. We're on our series, Encountering the Beauty of the Lord. And we're just kind of, you know, bit by bit moving along. And uh, I'm trying to be systematic. And I'm trying to also stop wherever the Lord points out something interesting. And so I'm just sort of inching along. And then uh, as I'm studying along, the Lord will take me off on a vein that is significant. And, um, And so tonight we are talking about theophanies, which we started last week. And then there's a kind of a little vein I'm just going to get on that I think is pretty important. I, I started last week describing biblical theophanies. And, and that word, theophany, um, I, I did a show of hands last week. I said, how many, be honest, how many don't know the word? And probably the majority of the hands went up. I said, don't, okay, don't un, you know, unplug because you don't know that word. Theophany simply means an appearing of God. An appearing of God. It's, it's all through the Bible where God appears and he shows himself in a physical, visible way in his manifest, in his manifest glory. He actually appears to mankind. Uh, and so there are numerous theophanies in the scripture and I ran down a list of them. Some of them there's far more detail on than others. Uh, I mean, you have... You know, uh, a couple where it just simply says, and God appeared, like with Samuel. God appeared to Samuel at Shiloh. And then you have, you know, Ezekiel, where you have multiple chapters of detail about what Ezekiel physically, visibly saw when God appeared to him. You know, uh, John has a, I mean, the most incredible, it's, it's a Christophany, actually. He actually has a theophany where he sees the Father and a Christophany where he sees the Son. The, the only difference is the Christophany is when Jesus appears. And, uh, and so some, are, it's just a line or two. Some, it's chapters upon chapters. And the thing we kind of established last week was that so many of the foundations of the Bible are based on biblical theophanies. Much of the key uh, uh, doctrinal teaching comes out of when God expressed himself via a theophany. He actually showed up and expressed it. An example is the Ten Commandments. He actually physically, visibly shows up and declares the Ten Commandments in the hearing of all Israel. That's at a theophany. That's a pretty important point. I mean, multiple times... The key doctrines in the scripture are actually laid out uh, through a theophany. Um, And so last week we just kind of went through the uh, sort of the the overview of what the theophanies were. And then I tied it up with Moses and talked about when God appeared to Moses and how Moses had this great capacity, this great desire to encounter God. And even while he had the glory of the Lord appearing over his own personal tent in such a a powerful way that 2.2 plus million people were coming out and worshiping just during Moses' own quiet time. He still asked for more. He still asked, show me your glory. And we talked about how the, uh, the, the, uh, there's a twofold component to theophanies. Ordinarily, it's like this. Ordinarily, there's the manifestation of God. In other words, God unveils himself to a person 
and there is from that from that uh, encounter, there's this intimacy component where the person is ruined. They are wrecked. They're undone. They, you know, they just, they're just like putty in the Lord's hands after that. The exception to the rule is Solomon. Solomon actually had two visible, uh, in dreams, he actually had two visible theophanies. God appeared to him twice, and then he actually turns his back on the Lord. It's pretty intense. And it actually says it aroused the Lord's anger. I'm of the camp, there's two camps on Solomon, side note. I'm of the camp that I believe Solomon actually returned to the Lord before he died. Uh, some believe he didn't, some believe he did. I'm of the crew that thinks he did. Another story for another time. But mostly what you have with Theophanies is this, that uh, the, the Lord appears to the individual and they are completely ruined. And we walked through Moses as that example. I mean, Moses has the burning bush encounter and the next thing you know he's rebuking pharaoh i mean just think think that through for a moment he's he's been a murderer he's on the run the last place he's trying to be is in egypt has the burning bush and now he's front and center telling pharaoh to release all of the israelites there's a i mean the lord breaks your no in a theophany and, I mean, that's, that's what happens over and over and over. These guys have these encounters with the Lord, and they're done. You see it with Daniel. You see it with Ezekiel. You see it throughout the Scriptures. When they encounter God in a physical, visible manifestation of His glory, they are wrecked, and they're just putty in the Lord's hands. So there's this intimacy component. That, that's the first thing. I think the Lord shows up, and it just wrecks the individual. And then there's the, the second part where we talked about it, that from that place of connection and intimacy, there seems to be this, this dynamic of often in theophanies, there's a commissioning. God actually commissions through the theophany. So when the message is super important to the messenger, he actually shows up, tells the messenger what the message is, and then commissions him to go, command, uh, to go uh, preach the, the message. He commissions him to go uh, proclaim the message. And so we saw that through multiple examples last week. I'm not going to re-preach that whole message. So here's where I got to. So I'm working through these thoughts again, and I realize that there is another dynamic to theophanies that uh, I think is essential and would be completely amiss if, if, I, didn't, if I didn't bring this, this feature to light. Uh, just as I was studying this week, taking a look at it uh, in the scripture, uh, there is a, another clear component to theophanies that you just can't, you cannot miss. And so we have the connection and intimacy, we have the commissioning, but then we have this other feature and it's the issue of covenant, the issue of covenant. And that's what I want to work through uh, this time. Um, there are four Old Testament covenants that God makes. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll hear a preacher or teacher say, yeah, in the Old Covenant, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And ordinarily they're referring to the covenant that the Lord made with Moses. But did you know there's four in the Old Testament? We, we have the covenant that he made with Noah, the covenant they made with Abraham, the covenant that he made with Moses, and the covenant they made with David. And so uh, a lot of times people just lock down on the old covenant, 
But that's not a real complete teaching because there's actually four that all go into the pot as we come to find Christ, who is the mediator of the new covenant. And so in those four covenants, um, you actually have uh, six, uh, I'm sorry, five clear appearances of God, at least five. Noah is potentially the odd man out. It doesn't appear that the Lord showed up to Noah. He spoke to Noah, and he spoke to Noah and his sons together, but it's not explicit that God actually appeared to him. But with Abraham, he appeared uh, on multiple, multiple times. There's, there's five different people that actually encounter God visibly, is the way I should say it. Abraham gets at least three Isaac gets at least one. Jacob gets at least one. All over the Abrahamic covenant. They actually all get a theophany. Moses gets a lifetime. I mean, I don't know how you even, how you even diagnose what that is. How you even put that together. I mean, he has the burning bush. He has, you know, Sinai in, for 40 days starting in chapter 20. Then he has, in, in chapter 24, he has the dinner on the sea of glass with 70 elders. I mean, think that one through for a minute. You read, <laughs> do this, read that this week. Read Exodus 24 this week and notice the, the, the sentence where the Lord says, And the Lord did not lay a hand on the elders. That one always puts a little chill up my spine. What does that mean? It means that they shouldn't have been able to be up there, but God has mercy. He actually invited them up into his glory, and he doesn't, he doesn't break out and kill them because they're, they're, un, they're impure. It's, I mean, just so intense who we're dealing with. We, I mean, it is so intense who, who God is. We, we, have, we have no clue how intense this one is. So... And then Moses does another 40 full days, and uh, that's the one that we kind of drill down on, is the Exodus 33, show me your glory, and then Exodus 34. And, uh, and then we have David, and Second uh, Chronicles 3 explains, David saw the Lord, and he actually uh, picks the place where he sees the Lord as the location for the temple. That's uh, an awesome point that actually I just stumbled over last week had always had this idea that David had seen the Lord. There's verses that, that kind of imply it, but Second Chronicles 3 just gives it to us straight. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to work through this point on covenant for a minute. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of teaching on covenant. Sometimes it can be a little heady. Sometimes it can be a little dry. This, I hope, isn't too heady and isn't too dry. So don't put me in that category before we work through the verses. But this is, I think, an important thought as it relates to theophanies. Four Old Testament covenants, three of them, God shows up physically, visibly. Think about that for a minute. When God's making a covenant with humanity, He shows up to do the covenant. I just, that moves me. That he doesn't just sort of throw it out there loosely. Yeah, Moses, here's a bunch of laws. Just say these things. He actually physically shows up, declares the, the Ten Commandments in the hearing of Israel, goes on and on and on with Moses about the moral law, goes on and on and on about the, the detail of the tabernacle, talking to Moses in person, 
physically, visibly shows up over and over and over and over throughout the 40-year sojourn, glory is on the tabernacle. And the whole thing is about covenant. The whole thing is about the Lord distinguishing Israel as the people that he's chosen and made a covenant with. Remember last week we talked about how Moses said, if you don't go with us, how will we be distinguished from all the other nations of the earth? He goes, well, let me just distinguish you. I'll put my glory on you. And that's who we're to be. Amen. A people with glory on us. A people with glory on us. Well, look at this... uh, verse here in Exodus 6, and I, I just, I want to do my best to slowly walk through this point and then work through these verse, verses, but Exodus 6, the Lord is, is commissioning Moses with a message. He spoke to him. He's, he's gotten his attention. He's, he's ruining Moses. He's delivering him from being a stutterer. He's commissioning him to be a proclaimer, a day of the Lord messenger to Egypt. But there's this massive detail going on here that I just, last week when I was thinking about it, just completely missed. I want to offer it to you tonight. Verse 2, Exodus 6, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, And to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, Lord, or Yahweh, by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis 15, the Lord appears to Abraham. He appears to him in 17 and in 18. Three different times he says, I'm going to make you, Abraham, a father of many nations. I'm changing your name. Your descendants will be as the stars of the sky. The Lord is physically, visibly appearing to him to tell him this. If you ever wondered about God's selection of Israel, if it's intact or important, think that through for a minute. That he would physically, visibly show up on multiple occasions to three generations of fathers and make it exceedingly clear, I'm choosing you and I'm choosing the people I'm bringing from you. Physically, visibly. That's, I mean, that is a massive exclamation point on God's intentions as it relates to Israel. He says, I've appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, but I'm now going to declare my name. To you, Moses, verse 4, here it is. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land, the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. So there's this detail here. The Lord goes, I am going to keep my promise. I'm going to give Abraham and his descendants the land that I've chosen. If you ever hear anybody ever, ever say to you, well, God chose Israel, but Israel didn't keep their end of the bargain, therefore God's rejected Israel and now the church of the chosen people. If you ever hear that, point right over to this verse and go, God actually made the covenant with Abraham and it wasn't his descendants that could nullify Abraham's covenant. God made the covenant with Abraham. He's got to keep the promise he made to Abraham. Pretty big point. Huge point, actually. Theologically impossible to get around, just a thought. That's a, that's a, 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 a bomb on that whole replacement theology idea. 
God made the promise to Abraham. He's going to keep the promise to Abraham. But th- this is the piece that's getting me. God, I mean, it's this, this is what's in the mind of the Lord. He goes, when I make a deal, I show up and make it myself. When I make a deal, I show up and make it myself. I mean, that, that, there's just something about that that touches my heart, that God would show up to these men. Physically, visibly, God, the God. He cuts the covenant with Abraham, shows up as a burning torch in a fiery pot. The fiery pot and the burning torch move through the covenantal sacrifice. Abraham walks through it, and then God, as a burning torch and fiery pot, comes through it. It's powerful. The Lord's not having someone else make his deal for him. You see what I'm saying? He's not having someone else sort of make the covenantal promise for him. He's doing it himself with humanity. I just... He doesn't have to do that, gang. He could shout, do it! Yes, sir. He doesn't have to show up. He could, he could rain down leaves that have messages on them. I mean, he could send birds in that all tell us what the covenant is. I mean, there's all sorts of ways God can do this thing. Instead, he goes, no, no one else does this deal but me. I show up and sign my own covenantal contract. So intense. Shows up to Abraham, shows up to Isaac, shows up to Jacob. And then here's what he says with Moses. Exodus 2, he says, I've heard the cries of my people Israel. Why are they his people? Because he made a covenant with Abraham. And so he's saying now to Moses, I appeared to those guys and I intend to keep my covenant, Moses. I intend to keep the covenant that I made. Now, Go rebuke Pharaoh. <laughs> it's just like, Moses goes, I can't speak. I, I don't know who sent me. He goes, Yahweh, tell him the I am that I am sent you. I, I, don't, I don't do miracles yet. He goes, do these things and I will do wonders through you, Moses. And Moses is like, okay, really? Like, really? This is what's happening. You're actually doing this. And Moses has to go in, rebuke Pharaoh, call down 10 plagues, and get Pharaoh to loosen his grip for just a moment. But that's just sort of getting them in the position to be able to hear the covenantal plan. God shows up on the mountain and again makes covenant physically, visibly himself showing up. Exodus 19 and 20 is as much a covenantal experience with God signing the contract on his side, showing up physically, visibly, as it is anything else. Jeremiah 2 tells us it's a wedding ceremony. Do this. When you hear the word covenant, think wedding. That's the most obvious covenant that we have nowadays. It's a covenant between a man and a woman. That they'll be, their, they'll be husband and wife. That is a covenant. And that's what God does with Israel out at Sinai. Jeremiah 2, he says, I betrothed you to me. It was, a, it, was a wedding, it was a wedding contract. You're my people. My own special possession. So then we have this issue, interesting thing with Moses. Moses is so touched, so ruined for God. He goes, I've got to have more. I can't just have the angel leading us. I have to have you. I've got to have you coming. The Lord goes, I want to come. I will come then, Moses. And Moses goes, give me your glory. Show me your face. Show me your glory. And, then, and he takes Moses through this encounter 
which is really the, the outcome of what we studied last week in Exodus 34. And I just want to read it because it's so powerful. And I'm going to get back to this issue of covenant in a moment. But I just, because he mentions the covenant in here. And it's again this ratification of the covenant by God showing up physically, visibly. Exodus 34, verse 5. This is the outcome of, of Moses saying, show me your glory. And this is what the Lord describes as all his goodness passing before before Moses. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. I just You don't need to go much further than that sentence. The Lord stood with Moses in the cloud of glory. Yahweh. Now again, let's remember what I just touched with Exodus 6. I know I'm throwing a lot at you. It's a little bit of a Bible study. But Exodus 6, he said, I've appeared to all of them, but I've never declared my name to any of them. I'm declaring my name to you so that you and your people will know who it is you've made a covenant with. He said, I'm, I'm going to be a known by you intimately. You're going to know me. That's what, he, that's what this was all about with Moses. Abraham, it's a promise to bring a people out and from that, from that line to bring Messiah out. Moses, it's a promise not for just the, the lineage and for the nation and for Messiah. With Moses, it's a, it's a promise of intimacy, knowledge of God. And here's what he says. He stood with him, descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. I'm of the opinion... That the greatest encounter you can have with God is when God unveils His name to you. When He unpacks all that He is in His name. His name is His nature, it's His heart, it's the depths of His being. A lot of these things intertwine. When He says, show me your glory, I'm just going to give you this as a side, many of you have probably heard this. The Hebrew word is kabod. Kabod. It literally means, it's a C-H-A-B-O-D. It literally means the weightiness or the depths. He goes, show me the deepest part of who you are. And God goes, I'll declare my name to you. I'm going to let you know me deeply, Moses. I'm going to unpack my nature to you, my depths to you, Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I've got teaching upon teaching on that. I did did a whole series on it, so I'm not going to go through it. But there it is. There's his name. He's a God of mercy, a God of tenderness, and a God of justice. He's unpacking himself to Moses. I just, man, if you've not spent a lot of time meditating on that scene, do it. Do it. What did it sound like? What did it feel like? When God's moving by, when the glory is there, what is that like? What's Moses hearing? What's hitting his soul? What's hitting his flesh? What's his mind doing? I just, I just, you know what I mean? Moses doesn't quit being just a dude. He's a human. 
I mean, he's just a guy dealing with Yahweh, unpacking the depths of who he is to Moses. Whew. He goes, I'll kill you if I show you everything, but I'll give you everything I can without killing you, Moses. And there's Moses, I mean, just one of us, just a guy, just a guy. The Lord, the Lord, I mean, what is happening? Thank God the first thing he says is, merciful. (laughs) This gives you a moment. Abounding in goodness. Abounding in goodness. What do you believe he's like, beloved? Merciful, compassionate, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, and a God of justice. By no means, and and I've I've got a whole teaching, I'm, I'm actually reteaching it. Okay, Okay. (laughs) by no means clearing the guilty. That whole idea there, I'll just give it to you in a sentence. It means the unrepentant guilty. He goes, I don't clear the unrepentant. Because he just talked about being a merciful God. Hello, obviously the merciful God clears clears the guilty. But when he says, by no means clearing the guilty, he's talking about the unrepentant guilty. And that's in the Hebrew, not not doing that right now. So, just what was going on there, I mean... If you'll just hunker down on those verses, it'll make for a good quiet time. All right, verse 8. This has always caught me, since I noticed this, these next phrases, it's always caught me off guard. Because I imagine when Yahweh shows up in unveiled expression, Moses can't stand. Because we see it when Solomon dedicates the temple that the priest could not stand to minister, right? You remember that? Second Chronicles 5, they can't stand to minister, they fall out. Well, Moses is actually standing still. Verse 8, so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. He actually got prostrate on the ground. I always pictured God coming by and it blowing Moses away, but instead Moses, <laughs> I mean, he's like, what am I seeing? What am I doing? Why am I standing? Let me get down. Just get down. If you don't know what to do when the presence of the Lord comes, getting down is a good idea. Just duck. Just duck. That's a good idea. <sighs> Made haste, bowed his head toward the ground. And worshipped. He goes, now if I found grace or favor in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we're a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us as your inheritance. Look at verse 10. Behold, I make a covenant. There it is again. He's ratifying this covenant through his physical, visible appearance. I love that. God doesn't show up if you can think of it as the, the, the contract thing, God doesn't show up to the contract negotiation and have somebody else sign off. He signs it himself. So powerful. So powerful. 
Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such have not been done in the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. I love this phrase. For it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing that I will do with you. The Lord's given us some thoughts on those verses and, and spoken to us prophetically through those verses. They're important to us as a house. I can't go into it right now. All right, flip on down then to verse uh, 28, chapter 34, verse 28. <clears throat> and we had technical difficulty getting the scriptures back there, so do your best, Amber, bless you. Uh, verse 28, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Verse 29, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that he did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. They were afraid to come near him because his face is shining. <sighs> Verse 33, when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, the skin, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until, until he went in to speak with him, with God. So Moses lives a long period of time, apparently, with his face shining. That is powerful. I just, I just think back to verse 30, uh, chapter 33. He goes, how would we be distinguished? God goes, well, I'm going to make your face like a spotlight. How about that? I mean, God knows how to distinguish people. When he wants to put glory on somebody, he has no problem doing it. And he, and he, I mean, he knows how to make it evident. And he does this with the nation of Israel. So, now f- flip with me to uh, Matthew 17. And I'll again give the disclaimer, I'm pretty sure I'm just reading the menu. I have... A little light on this, but not very much. I would encourage you to go deeper on these things. Because what's um, occurring to me is the physical, visible manifestation of God to, to, uh, to ratify the covenant. In the Old Testament, he, he has those those four, and he shows up for sure. Maybe he did show up with Noah, but we don't have it explicit. But he shows up for sure multiple times on three of the occasions. And then we have the new covenant. Then we have the new covenant. And I, uh, of course, we talked about, and we did a whole message on how Jesus is, just as he's the word of the Lord made flesh, he is the name of the Lord. He is Yahweh in the flesh. And Hebrews 1 really 
lays that out for us. He's Yahweh in the flesh. But I want to draw your attention to one of the clearest New Testament theophanies. Um, you may not think of it that way because it's not called a theophany, but it is clearly a theophany. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. And so uh, I'll lay it out and then we'll read the verse. But uh, Jesus grabs Peter, James, and John. He says, let's go up to the mountain to pray. We get it in Luke. We get it in Matthew. We get it in Mark. Luke says that they actually fall asleep. They're up praying all night as, as was Jesus' custom apparently. And the Lord... Uh, well, first, the glory of the Lord comes on Jesus. And he begins to shine. He begins to shine with glory. And, and Luke actually says the appearance of his face changed. I don't know what that exactly means, but the appearance of Jesus' face changes. And then they see it. They, they see Jesus shining and glowing. And it, it basically describes how Peter, in his frailty, doesn't know what to do with that. He goes, uh, and they see Moses and Elijah there with Jesus. They, they see Moses and Elijah physically appear with Jesus. Peter doesn't know what to do. He goes, uh, so good. <laughs> I don't know what you would say. But Peter just did his humanity. He goes, so good to be here and see this. It's really good. And we'll build some tabernacles. That's what we'll do so we can remember this. And one for you, Jesus, and one for Moses. One for Elijah. We'll just build them. You guys have some stuff to build stuff with. I mean, I mean, Peter's just undone. I, I can relate to Peter. Moses is the most humble man, so all of his insecurity and weirdness doesn't quite come out as much. He just kind of bows. Peter, yeah, okay, what we're going to do now? And he starts freaking out. That, I would be that guy. I would start freaking out. We'll build tabernacles. That's what we should do. I mean, just, and it says because he doesn't understand. And then, here's the part that's, that's wild. While Peter is speaking, we kind of miss this, how this works. First, Jesus turns bright. Then they see Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. We're going to find out what they're, uh, I think Luke actually is the one that gives it to us. We might have to flip over there. But talking to Jesus, we'll find out what the topic was. Peter starts freaking out. And while he's freaking out, the glory cloud comes and descends upon him. And Peter finds himself in the glory cloud and God speaks audibly. So good. And what does he say? This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. All right, let's read the verse. And let me tie, in, let me tie together a few uh, loose ends. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Now, I believe it's Luke tells us 
they were talking with Jesus about his crucifixion. They were talking with Jesus about his decease, it says, about the fact that he's about to die. This is so good. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make uh, here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. If you ever wondered what that is, that's Peter freaking out. That's what that is. Tabernacles were, uh, the idea of the tabernacle was to remember what had happened there. Let's make a, a, little, a little tabernacle, we can remember this. While he was still speaking, now this, he's in his freaked out state. Now I'm not busting on Peter, I would do the same thing, I relate to that. I would, you know, often when I feel the presence of the Lord, my humanity starts servicing. I go, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. What do I do, what do I do? While he was still speaking, now imagine this is you for a minute. Jesus, your Jesus, who you've walked now with for three and a half years, is glowing bright. He's glowing, glowing. It says his clothes are glowing. I mean, everything is lit. His face is like the sun. He's glowing, glowing, glowing. You start freaking out. And while you're speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed, and that's not just over, that's all over them, that's around them, that's, it comes down on them. The cloud comes down on them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, the Father. Jesus is there and the Father is declaring, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. And I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The the scene had changed and it's back to normal Jesus. If there's such a thing as normal Jesus. Now, I got to give you this verse in Isaiah 42. It'll it'll come up. We have Isaiah 42. There it is. This is through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord prophesying over about the Son. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and will hold your hand. That's why. That's why I pray that. I just love that phrase. He said he'll hold Jesus' hand. He loves me like he loves Jesus. So I say, hold my hand, Lord. I will keep you and give you, I will give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Now remember, with Moses, with with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, with Moses, the father shows up and, and articulates the covenant himself. Here we have Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Give me grace, Lord, to try to break this down. And the Father again shows up. Now look at the, the, the natural connection points. Both times on a mountain. Both times glory cloud. Both times God speaking audibly. 
Both times, somebody's face is shining like the sun. And, but this time, instead of the Lord declaring what the covenant is, instead of the Father declaring the covenant, what does he do? He declares Jesus and says, hear him. He is the covenant. Jesus is the covenant. And what does Jesus say at the Last Supper? He says, this is my blood of the new covenant. My body is broken. This bread is my body broken for you of the new covenant. This is my blood of the covenant. Jesus is the covenant. And so what we have on the Mount of Transfiguration, one of the clearest uh, theophanies with God showing up, it's again the Lord showing up on his side of the covenant table and declaring Physically, visibly, his intentions regarding the covenant. I'm giving my son as the sacrificial lamb, as the covenant. Beloved, this, this idea to me, it's just a shock. Because we don't just have the Lord showing up with Moses or Abraham. We actually, have, I'm talking about Yahweh, the Father. We don't just have the Father showing up there. We actually have the Father showing up in the New Testament on his side giving his son away as the covenant. Do you understand how essential, how important it is that God would show up and thunder, hear him? He is the covenant. He is the word. He is the covenant. Oh my goodness. Now let's just wrap this up with Peter's explanation. 2 Peter 1. Verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 16, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Oh, man. To be an eyewitness of his majesty. See, I happen to be of the opinion that if the Father will show up in a cloud and thunder over Jesus and thunder the, the intention of Jesus in the Father's heart to be the covenant, I'm of the opinion he'll do it now. Why not? I'm of the opinion if Jesus will show up to John like he did on the Isle of Patmos, I'm of the opinion he'll do it now. Why not? I don't think he gives us these things as the sort of the history of the scripture. I think he gives us these things as the things that God can do. The realm of possibilities. It's, It's the realm of what's available. Don't read the Bible as if this is what happened for them, but probably not for us. Read the Bible as if all of these things happened and any of them could be possible. Read it like that. And so when I, see, when I see Peter talking about how he was an eyewitness of the Lord's majesty, he's not just saying his actual Jesus being with him, walking in the flesh. He's actually saying the glory that came on Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he says he was an eyewitness, I go, well, why not me? Why not you? Why not us? Why not one of us? Any of us? Somebody. 
But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Notice he says the voice came from heaven. But where was the cloud? Where was the cloud? It overshadowed them. It was around them. And he called that heaven. Heaven came down. Listen, we've got to get a vision for this stuff, gang. We've got to get a vision for this stuff. We can't run to the extent of our experiences and imagine that that's the extent of what's available. You see what I'm saying? We can't go to what we've experienced and say that's what's available. No, no, no. What we have to do is draw from the Scripture what is available there and bring that into our, into our faith and say, okay, that is what's available. The excellent glory coming down. The voice from heaven and heavens all around. <laughs> the voice from heaven. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And then we have this little sentence. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Which you would do well to heed. As a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Verse 19. What I believe, what I believe Peter is saying there is the prophetic word is the Old Testament. The, 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 the volumes of covenantal promises God's made in the Old Testament. He says they are confirmed and ratified with this new covenant. The Father signed the covenant again, and Christ is our covenant. And the Father physically, visibly shows up in a theophany to declare Jesus as the covenant. And instead of it being laws written on stone, he says, listen to my son. He's the word made flesh. Oh, beloved. just want to see him as he is. And I, man, I just, honestly, this thing, I'm sure it's far richer and deeper than I can even offer. I know I'm just scratching the surface on it. But to see that, to see that the theophany connects to the covenant, connects to God's covenantal promises, and then to see the Father showing up and offering Jesus to us as the covenant. This thing is so important in the mind of God. I always, I, you know, I've, I've kind of meditated on how much does the Father love Jesus that the Father would thunder over Jesus. He would break in to, to the natural order and declare his love for Jesus on multiple occasions in Jesus' life. I go, man, how much does the Father love Jesus? And then we tie that together in John 17. And it says, as he loves Jesus, he loves us. I go, wow, the Father's burning in love. But then I think about it. How essential and important is the covenant that the Father shows up physically, visibly? To give the Son as the covenant, as the covenant for us. 
Oh, he does a theophany to give us the new covenant. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, amen. Let's stand.